It was the highest attendance of any wrestling show ever. You listen to Eric and Conrad talk about Collision in Korea? Now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hello, 83 Weeks fans, and welcome to the first ever podcast about a podcast. This is where we break down the episode of 83 Weeks. We cover all the big reveals. We get your fan reactions. And, of course, we are learning all about North Korea on this week's episode. My name is Christy Olson, and I uh, have uh, some of my friends joining me here tonight. He's a veteran of the business. You can also catch him on the AfterBuzz TV Smackdown After Show. Hi, Christian Rosenberg. Hi, Christy Olson. How are you? I am great, thank you. Excellent. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I always smirk, and I never mention it. I love when you do your intros, the look that Steve gives you when you do the That's Me. Is it a look so much as a turn? Like, it's 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 it's, it's not acting, it's blocking. It's just, she's going to say That's Me, I should... Well, a funny behind-the-scenes story, actually, this next guy got demoted from sitting next to me for making faces at me while I say that. But you can call him the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment. Hi, George Hermosa. I thought it was just so precious. Uh, like, it's become a thing, you know? After Chris Yostin, that's me. Like, it's just, hey, it's together. Hey, I've never been asked to sit next door, so at least oh, you were there at some point. Sassy. Well, half the half the people probably enjoying this show are listening, but a lot of them are watching on YouTube, and this guy runs this YouTube channel and the YouTube <sighs> channel for lots of other uh, wrestling veterans. Hi, Steve Kaufman. Hello. I am very happy to, as of this moment, be managing a channel that plays actual wrestling matches. <laughs> For now. Yes. Okay. So uh, do you, you can tell the people where I can they can find I can absolutely tell people. Okay. If you go to youtube.com slash 83 weeks, at this moment, the, pin, the pinned video will be the episode we're about to talk about. But Collision in Korea, the show that that episode is talking about, is also an uploaded video on that channel. And if you're wondering how. That's right. For the first time in years, you guys have been looking for it, you've been waiting for it, and now you can watch Collision in Korea. And if you're wondering how, it's very... It's very similar to how Eric Bischoff went to North Korea in 1995. He just did it. I just uploaded the video and <laughs> it said... It didn't get flagged and we have our fingers crossed. You better go claimed. watch it quick. And Does his it, passport has been taken. My passport has been taken. That's a completely separate <laughs> issue. Um, it got claimed by the WWE, so they're getting all the ad revenue. But we're getting all the views. We're getting all the eyeballs to come to this channel and hopefully... Now that we have supplementary content like this show, like clips from this show, like clips from the 83 Weeks show, I think we'll do fine. Wait, 83 Weeks? The show that celebrated its one-year anniversary this week? One year. That's right. They launched on April 30th, 2018, and this is, oddly enough, episode number 53 for some reason. It was leap year. Sure. <laughs> that's no. I mean, wasn't, yeah. Let's just, yeah. Well, and we've had a lot of fun talking about all of those episodes. And uh, we are, of course, you can join us in the live chat right now. We want to hear all of your guys' comments about Collision in Korea, which I know you'll watch now, thanks to Steve. And you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and give us maybe a five-star rating, just five a suggestion. Star. I actually saw our uh, After 83 Weeks podcast is listed on the WrestlePost app. Have you guys heard about this? It's really cool. It's a directory of like events and schools and promotions. No matter where you are in the world, you can find out where to watch wrestling. If you are in That's the business, cool. you can find like photographers. I and did schools. not know that. That is awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's available on iPhone and uh, the Google Post? thingy. Yes, the Russell okay. Post app. Well, there you I go. Want everybody to check that out. And uh, I mean, we're just giving you all kinds of info today because we learned some things <laughs> on this episode of 83 Weeks. I don't 
you know, want to make myself sound uncultured, but I didn't know a lot of these things about North Korea that we learned in this episode. What did you guys think about getting something that was a lot less Russell-centric, shall we say, this time around? It, I mean, it was less Russell-centric, but these are the podcasts I love the most. And it's because there were so many more unique stories that that you you never would have even imagined could have happened. I mean, all wrestlers, all wrestling podcasts, they'll have their stories. I mean, Eric has stories pretty much every week, but these type of stories that are just so out there, that are just so unfathomable, mm-hmm. this is what I love to hear. So, I mean, because, you know, going in, is like, hey, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a political person in the least. Okay, right. I've never seen this until this show happened to be posted on the After 83 Weeks YouTube page. <laughs> but then hearing all these stories, I was so fascinated by them, and it just drew me in. These are the shows, these are the podcasts I want to hear more of. You can tell this, this like, it's not just the event, but just the whole trip in general left, like, a huge impression on Eric because he just went on, and in a good way, like, he yeah. just went on and on and on about it, like, and there wasn't really any, like, I don't remember, I don't recall, like, like we hear a lot in his other episodes. This was, yeah. like, straight up, like, question, five-minute answer. I'm like, dude, this is all, like, good stuff. Yeah. Like, this is mm-hmm. all cool stuff that I wanted to hear about. Not just the wrestling show, but just overall, in general, what was happening in North Korea in 95. And, like, to a certain extent, I, I was running through the clips that I made for the episode this morning, and I looked, and there were at least five that had nothing to do with wrestling. Mm-hmm. And everything to do with just propaganda or running through the streets of Pyongyang. I love which, that story so much. Which, I love that story in his book, and he went even, went into even more detail on this episode. Specifically, like, the, the color of there aren't rats, there aren't rodents, there aren't bugs, like things you would expect in your city. If you're imagining a city, they don't have them because starvation is such a problem. They eat them. Is so fascinating to me. Yeah. It's not even that. It's like the more of like the corpse. It's like that was kind of like disturbing. They eat dead yeah, bodies. Yeah, it was just like disturbing, but kind of like. Oh, we, yeah, I was going to Google that. Because really, obviously else. we don't really hear about what's going on in North Korea except mm-hmm. for what they tell us. But it's like, you, 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 probably, you probably have no idea just half of what's going on over there. And Eric being there saw a first-hand reaction mm-hmm. of what how North Korea is like. Can you imagine being in a situation, you land there, you get your passport jacked from you, and I got to know if they were told why that needed to happen. So I'll ask Eric that a little bit later when he joins us for our Q&A. But, um, oh, I forgot where I was going with that. Imagine. Just oh. imagine, yeah, this place. Oh, well, yeah, and... and <laughs> No, there was... Oh, be, um, oh! imagine being told that you were only the seventh person ever to step foot in a country not killed or captured. See, even just when I said it just now, you were taken aback. I, I, I want a trophy for that. I remember... It's the, crazy. I remember the first time I went to Peru, they're like, all right, when you get in the, out of the airport, you know, eyes on your luggage. Don't keep, you know, keep your... And this is like a whole other, like, situation, because I thought that was bad. Yeah. But this is like whole, like, oh, by the way, you're the seventh person ever to, like, you know, and I'm like, that's crazy to me. Yeah, like, there's common travel stories, then there, there are Eric Bischoff's travel stories from North Korea. They're just insane. Like, similarly, like, when I was in France, people would say, watch out for pickpockets. And someone had to explain to me the difference between a pickpocket and a thief. Or, like, someone who was trying to mug you. Like, someone said pickpocket, and I thought, it's a person who's trying to punch you and take your stuff. And that's not what a pickpocket is. I mean, I I know that one time I went to Canada for a (laughs) WWE live show. I didn't go outside when it got dark out. You all have left America. It's Canada. Humble brag, y'all. It was only that one time, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you you guys can imagine why the boys maybe had some trepidation about following along on this little trip, right? 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, what was what else stood out to you about what Eric said? I mean, obviously, we're all blown away by the jogging story. That man, he has such balls. I don't know if I'll say that to him when we get him on the air a little bit later, but man, that's what I was thinking when I was <laughs> listening to the story. This guy has some huge cojones, as they say. Oh, you know who else has huge cojones? Scott Norton's wife. <laughs> She's all making demands. She's like, I don't care where you are. I want a phone call. This phone call gets Scott Norton a little trip to the... Well, I don't know. He didn't actually go to jail. But he got arrested. Scott, oh. Scott Norton, who, by the way, has a book coming out May 25th that I'm sure has multiple chapters dedicated to the time he was detained in North Korea. <laughs> You'd think at yeah. least one. I wonder how much of that call was costing him. Or was it call and collect? Was that the 1-800-COLLECT back in the day? It's. It sounds like he called an operator I don't in th- North Korea and then had the operator connect him somehow. Yeah, I don't feel like one eight hundred collect existed in North Korea. Mm. No. I thought you called dial zero for the operator. And am I getting so? And it was Scott Norton who then also later was like throwing the chicken on the ground. It was Scott right? Steiner. That was Scott, Scott Steiner. Steiner. The okay. other Scott. Because I was like, if he'd already been arrested, wouldn't he be so terrified? What's yeah. he throwing chicken around for? I just want to know what Scotty Riggs was doing during this time too. <laughs> so we can have a trifecta. I've I've seen multiple documentaries about because there are only so because it's such an it's such a small um, <clears throat> topic where there's actually reporting. Vice has two yeah. di- two very good documentaries on this. And both of them described the food in North Korea as matter. Technically edible was another thing. I I just love that because to me, Scott Norton was really when you you just look at the people in the MWO, to me, he was the most intimidating one in the entire. Because, like, that guy who looks like he has no fun, he will rip you in half. And save the other half for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> He's and, wildly practical. Right. Meal prep. <laughs> yeah, me, all about the meal prep. <laughs> and the fact that we're hearing these stories about how terrified and freaked out that guy was, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what I would do. <laughs> like, I would, I would be crying on the ground, in the fetal position, begging. It's not really shocking, actually. <laughs> it's not that shocking to think I would be in that, like, I would be feeling that way. But the fact that that guy yeah. was that scared baffles me. Well, and of course, the Koreans would take the, be taking them very seriously because these are big, scary wrestler men, and they don't know that it, it's all a work. What are you talking about? They don't know. What do you mean it's I mean, work? it's still real to them, damn it. <laughs> Cover your ears, Christian. Uh, but that's pretty, I mean, you would think for a country who they wanted to have such control over everything that was happening, you would certainly think that they would have done plenty of research on wrestling and WCW and, and what happens. I mean, it's very, I, I don't want to demean them by saying it's it's really cute that they didn't know it was a work, but uh, that's that's surprising but to I mean, me. But I mean, by that time, it's like there wasn't really much really stuff out there that says wrestling is a work, you know, mm-hmm. just whatever was presented. Obviously now with Beyond the Mad and all these documentaries, mm. it's all easier, but there was no Beyond the Mad back then. So, I mean, I, I can see why in such a secluded country that they didn't know it was a work. And they and they did as much research as Scott Steiner did regarding the food. <laughs> <laughs> I, also, it sounds like they were sold in, in Olympics. They were sold on yeah. sport. They were sold on legitimate sports. So the second, we're not, like even 95, even North Koreans, I don't think you can be sold the idea that wrestling is pure sport. Right. Like let's watch these competitors compete in an in an athletic competition. No one believes that about pro wrestling. No, the, and we and we saw on the show that there was a lot of pageantry involved as well. They had like the kids and the dancing and all the stuff. And that, well, and, and that's why I always just find it almost almost comical. Like every year, 
I hear some, whether it's a current wrestler or a former wrestler, that says, pro wrestling should be an Olympic sport. How? How exactly would that work? It would have to be judged on creativity. Like, it would be so subjective. You would have to have a five-minute match. Is there something wrong with me that I just tried to figure out a way to make that work? No, no. That, that was more so because my, my mind just naturally went to, oh, whoever wins. It was well, like, no, well, if, that doesn't help things. If figure, if figure skating is a sport, you could argue... That if you if two people who've worked on it there who worked on it for years go out and have a five minute match. So in other words, just the, like the opponents, then, they work as as a pair. And then the judges are Dave Meltzer, oh, a French God. Dave Meltzer, <laughs> an Australian oh, Dave Meltzer, and Joey Ryan, who says that professional wrestling is a performance art. Yes, but if you no, judge I agree it, with that, yeah, like but there are performance arts that are in the Olympics that don't have as much stink on them as pro wrestling does. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it's not as absurd as it sounds that it should be an Olympic sport. It really is. It, it shouldn't means, be. It, it means, really shouldn't be an Olympic has sport. A, it has a lot of other stigmas to overcome before we're ever seriously considering that. But North Korea did put on kind of an Olympic-worthy show. When you guys watched Collision in Korea back, as I know we all did, what were your thoughts? I mean, it was interesting to watch. I mean, I, I, I was a tape trader, so I kind of had a VHS copy uh, like years ago. Uh, I mean, I just was—I was just intrigued by it, you know. Mm-hmm. I think—I think the only—the only clip I remember seeing was like the pay-per-view promo for like you know in '95, in August '95, I think it was, and just like well, I was like, wow, that's a lot of people. But now actually seeing it, like, and it was a little bit grainy, but still, it was like it's still you can. There's no hiding the spectacle that it was. Yeah. Uh, two things that I found very interesting. One, the the clip that they showed on it with you know the huge opening ceremony, and then for that like brief second, they cut to. Ric Flair and Tuco Scorpio, whatever, you know, they're just sitting, just watching. And it's just like, they're all doing this, and this is one of the featured attractions of this whole festival Mm -hmm. of peace and sport. And then the other thing was, I mean, we all know typically as far as with the Japanese crowds, they'll be polite, they'll applaud, you know, the moves they like. But I just found interesting, and I I want to ask Eric about this when when we talk to him uh, shortly, how we really couldn't hear anything in the audience because of how dubbed over the English commentary was. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you couldn't even really hear when people were slammed to the mat. You could barely hear that. So I would have loved with, you know, 150-some-odd thousand people, (laughs) there's going to be some noise eventually. You'd think. (laughs) So I was, I, you know, I wanted to know what that was. Mm-hmm. Although it was, it became pretty obvious to me when I watched Two Cold Scorpio walking out to the ring doing pretty classic United States baby, baby face, face stuff. Baby yeah. face clap along with me and nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Just uh, imagine 150,000 people not clapping along with John Cena, let's say. Like, or imagine 150,000 people not reacting to, to John Cena. Well, um, they it's have ridic- a, it's, but they have a fair point. They wouldn't be able to see him. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, let's talk, Tip a, your waitresses. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about that match. Two Cold Scorpio and Chris Benoit brought a lot of energy. Yes. I don't know that they... Op- opening match? Yeah. You I mean, always want to have the energy. It was yeah. what you wanted for an opening match. But, but at the same time, like, like Eric talked about on the podcast, people had no idea what this was. It was they weren't paid patrons. Right. Mm. You know, like it was pretty much mandatory that they had to go. So they had no idea what they were seeing. No. So they didn't know how to react to it. No. And you, that was, I think, most obvious uh, when the women came out and during the women's match. And those women brought it. Holy <laughs> crap, they did. I mean, that oh was probably my, my favorite match God. of the show. Agreed. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was watching it at the gym, and I could see the two people on the machines next to me, like, looking over my shoulder, watching. <laughs> Dead serious. I'm a big Bull Nakano fan, so, I mean, I, I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of And I think Akira Hokuto is one of the best. It's, and uh, was it um, Toki? Manami Toyota? Yeah, Toyota. Uh, someone who I've never heard of, but who apparently is phenomenal. Someone I mean, calls it, her the best wrestler If anybody time. goes back to Lita's Hall of Fame speech from 2014, yeah. that's all Manami Toyota. Like, that's Lita's like, oh, Toyota, Toyota, okay. this. Like, she inspired me this, she inspired me that. And it made me want to look up at that time, and I was like, man, this girl is really good. I knew you'd be able to bring that full circle for us, George Hermosa. So do you want to know what Eric Bischoff hasn't done with this... Uh, card yet? What? A watch along. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm trying to plan with him? I don't know what. A watch along. Uh, All right. Well, you keep us posted on that. And in the meantime, maybe we should bring <laughs> Eric Bischoff in and ask him some of these uh, burning questions that we have about collision in Korea. So stay tuned because we will be right back with the man himself. We're back on the 83 Weeks channel with our very special guest. He is the host of one of the most popular, highest grossing, and headline-making podcasts in all of professional wrestling. Happy one-year anniversary to you, Eric Bischoff. Well, thank you for that. You're Reminding welcome. Reminding me that I'm, that I'm one year older and still making money. I appreciate that. <laughs> Did you realize that you launched on April 30th last year? Did you know it's your anniversary week? No, I didn't until someone on social media, um, a wrestling historian, ah. uh, reminded me today on social media with a post. So it made me feel uh, made me feel very special. Fifty two episodes, probably about one hundred four hundred fifteen hours of content. That's a that's a that's a mile marker. I like it. Dang, dang. And I can I can only think that Collision in Korea is one of the shows that people have been waiting probably a year to hear you talk about. Would you say, guys? Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> We, we were know, ready to hear about it. I know it. Steve has. Steve has been. I, yes. You know, it's really interesting. Steve's been asking me for months now about <laughs> doing something on Collision in Korea. I, you know, once again, I, I just didn't really think people would be all that interested in it. Um, but, wow, the feedback I've gotten on social media has been literally overwhelming. All the way, I, I flew back from uh, the U.K. yesterday, uh, all told about an 18-hour flight with layovers and such. And for 18 hours, my feed was just filling up with positive responses. So it was really uh, overwhelming, but uh, gratifying at the same time. Oh, did you think that maybe people had forgotten about this show or that it just didn't make a huge splash when it happened? Or why are you so surprised? Yeah, Christy, I think that was it. Because it didn't really make much, you know, it didn't really make anybody's radar when we did the pay-per-view in WCW. There wasn't a lot of interest in it at the time because nobody really... It is, there was no storylines. It was just, you know, the New Japan guys and the WCW guys. There was no real spectacular matchups other than Flair and Anoki. So I, the pay-per-view didn't do that well. So I just thought, you know, by default it might not be that interesting. But, man, was it ever. Well, because there's so much more to talk about than just the wrestling at the show, obviously. Uh, the climate in North Korea, how you guys were treated, and your kind of experience there. It was really a lot of fun. And I don't know about you guys, but I learned a lot. On this one. I don't know. Yeah? Anybody else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to kind of launch right into it because I am dying to know. I cannot believe that you had your passport stripped right when you get into the country. I cannot imagine how that made you feel. Was there any explanation given to you as to why that needed to happen? No. The only thing that we were told <laughs> is that we would get them pa- get them back uh, when it was time to depart. But no. No explanation. Nobody really asked. I think we were all shocked. Uh, we, we weren't prepped. Nobody told us before we got there, you know, and said, look, guys, they're going to take your passports, but they'll give them back to you right before you leave. So when it happened, it was like spontaneous. So nobody really knew how to react, really. Wow. 
Um, you mentioned it didn't make a splash at home. Uh, a couple couple folks have asked, why was the logo based on the South Korean flag versus the North Korean flag? And was Collision in Korea always the pitched title for the U.S. audience? Uh, it, it was the pitched title for the U.S. audience. We didn't have really a lot of choices. Again, this was kind of a, I'm going to call it an aftermarket pay-per-view. It wasn't one of our really primary pay-per-views. I don't want to make it sound like it was a secondary thing. But because it wasn't live, uh, it was obviously done in post-production. Um, we just didn't put a lot of thought into titling it. And in terms of the North Korean versus South Korean flag, I'm not sure that that wasn't a post-production mm. faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> well. You mentioned some of the feedback that you've been getting for this episode. How did it feel kind of having an episode talking about, not talking about Hogan and, and kind of the politics going on WCW, more so talking about just the whole atmosphere of Korea. Like, how did it feel for you? And do you think maybe that's why you've been getting a lot of positive feedback, that it wasn't really wrestling-centric episodes? Well, I mean, that's why I enjoy doing the podcast so much, because that that event, my experience going over there, was profound to me, and still is, just because it was like being dropped off in the middle of another planet. And, you know, you've heard the term fish out of water. Well, that's exactly what we felt like. And to be able to talk about that and that experience without having to talk about a finish in a particular match or the backstage, you know, politics that were going on leading into a match or, you know, the typical things that we normally talk about, um, it was refreshing to me. And there was so much material for me to, to, to get into in so much detail that nobody's ever really experienced before. That made it more fun for me. And I think that's probably why listeners have reacted the way they have, because it was such a unique um, event and experience that went along with the event that it just felt fresh, I think, to a lot of people. At least that's the feedback I'm getting. I'm getting feedback from people that aren't even wrestling fans who had the link forwarded to them by friends of theirs who were wrestling fans. I'm getting feedback from people in the political universe and in news universe, uh, traditional media universe, who really don't follow wrestling but love the podcast. Well, they didn't bother to cover it when it happened, gosh darn it. <laughs> no, and it's interesting. And there was a, a reporter over there with us. He was embedded uh, on, on the, not with the trip, not with us necessarily, but he was in North Korea by the name of Mike Chinoy. And Mike didn't even really cover the event for CNN, which was owned by Turner Broadcasting. So <laughs> go figure. Well, well, along with what you were saying, Chrissy, as far as the coverage, obviously now today there's all the social media mm-hmm. talking about. So we hear today with the WWE's relationship with Saudi Arabia, how so many people were um, uneasy as far as maybe making the trip and doing it, where I felt a lot of comparison with that to the stories that you were sharing between how the wrestlers felt with the passports and um, Scott Norton being locked up and all that pretty much. <laughs> so I was just wondering how you would compare what you've, um, you know, read or seen with anything with WWE's relationship with Saudi Arabia to you on the trip to Korea? Well, obviously there was a lot of controversy surrounding the WWE trip to Saudi Arabia because of recent events over there, mm-hmm. including the assassination and dismemberment of... Uh, the the writer uh, Khashoggi, I believe, is his name, and that was right around the same time, and it was in the in the news. So obviously there was a lot of controversy, but the biggest difference is that you know the United States has had a very close diplomatic relationship with Saudi Arabia for a long, long time. There was no diplomatic relationship 
with North Korea. So when we were over there, we were literally on our own. We had no support. There was no embassy. If things would have gone south over there, there was no one we could call. The, the, there was no Ghostbuster moment for us. Um, we were literally, we would have just all been prisoners and there's nothing anybody could have done about it because of the lack of diplomatic immunity. That right there is the biggest difference between the two. And, uh, you know, obviously they take their law abiding very seriously in a, in a place like that. And I'm wondering if there was any concern that you had that um, any of the boys would get themselves in trouble, maybe trying to bring drugs over or, you know, poor Scott Norton got himself in trouble kind of inadvertently anyway. Was that a concern of yours? I really wasn't worrying about anybody bringing contraband in, into the country. That's also, you know, contraband you know, drugs, illegal drugs and things like that is also a very, very serious issue in Japan. Uh, most of the guys know that. Most of the guys, I don't, you know, I don't want to speak to any of them individually, but I would be shocked if, you know, the, the boys would bring anything, you know, illegal into the country. Not that they haven't, but... You know, they all knew going into North Korea was even uh, a riskier proposition in terms of that than being in Japan. So I, I wasn't too worried about it. I was a little concerned about how people would act and react. Um, you know, the story we told on the podcast about Scott Steiner being, you know, a, a subtle example, not so subtle, but, you know, that's an example. Certainly the Scott Norton story is a, is a big example of what could go wrong. But to answer your question, I wasn't, I was aware of it, but I wasn't concerned of it. Okay. So on a scale of WrestleMania to a handshake, on a, on a scale of handshake <laughs> to WrestleMania, how big was the payday for someone like Ric Flair to essentially do this extended Tokyo tour that includes North Korea? Well, again, that goes to the relationship between WCW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. The WCW talent um, went over to Japan, and they were compensated under their WCW agreement. It was just another date, mm. just like they weren't compensated additionally for going over to Europe or to wrestling in Canada. Uh, it was just another WCW date on their list of required dates. So there was no additional compensation. Most of them, though, most of the boys, and I, you know, I don't want to speak for all of them, but almost every one of them loved going to Japan because when you went over there, you were treated much differently, and the experience was much different than, you know, bouncing up and down the roads through, you know, the southeastern part of the United States, you know, staying at, you know, Ramada inns and eating <laughs> bar food. So um, the, the, when you went over to Japan, the experience was a really great experience, but there was no additional compensation. Hmm. Uh, a couple years later, you guys brought in Great Muda, Masachono, even like Tenzon to be part of the NWO, WCW whole thing. Was there ever any, any talks of bringing Antonio Noki in? Maybe not so much with the NWO, just but in WCW in general, especially with WCW being so hot. Any talks of bringing in Inoki? No, Inoki was, for the most part, retired. You know, as we talked about in the podcast, this effort on his part was more one of political salvation. And, and he was motivated for political reasons than he was being motivated because he wanted to wrestle. Now, until Anoki did wrestle a few more times in Japan at some of the bigger dome shows, but we wouldn't have been able to make a lot of sense of Anoki coming over to the United States and wrestling simply because it, he just wasn't as big of a star here as he is or was in Japan. You you talked, I know we joked about Scott Norton a little bit already, but, you, I mean, you talked... You know, highly about him how how you you enjoyed his company. You know, fly on the on the charter. I'm just curious when you were speaking so highly of him. 
why was there never the chance of really push him into almost like a main event player in WCW or the NWO? He was just kind of like the muscle of the mid-card NWO. It's a very good question, and I'm glad you asked it. But, you know, go back and look at the depth of our roster at the very top at that time. Scott was, uh, he was definitely an extremely valuable uh, member of the roster, but he just, I never felt like Scott, as much as, you know, I respect him and like him now. I mean, we're very close friends, uh, but he wasn't, he just wasn't that main event player here in the United States. He didn't have that extra kind of intangible quality that superstars at that level need to have. And at the very end of this show, Collision in Korea, we have a little voiceover from, you know, those those commentator guys, one of them being Mr. Eric Bischoff. And somebody says, oh, Ric Flair told me that he wanted to have a rematch on U.S. soil. Why didn't that rematch happen? Uh, for the reasons that I you know just mentioned a few moments ago, a rematch with Inoki here uh, wouldn't have had the appeal okay. uh, that it had in Japan or or anywhere else, for that matter, in in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we would have been able to have that rematch in the Tokyo Dome, that would have been a whole different story altogether because Rick was a huge star in Tokyo, and obviously so was Anoki. Mm-hmm. But Anoki um, in the United States just wouldn't have been a moneymaker. I know you guys recorded that voiceover uh, later when you when you got back. Is that right? So Correct. when you had returned from the trip, were you thinking, oh, that would be fun to do again? You mentioned that you wouldn't do it again now, but were you thinking, hey, maybe there will be a second one? Maybe there will be a rematch? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. By the t- and I'm not exaggerating here. We didn't talk about this. I don't think we talked about this on the podcast, but literally, uh, and, and Rick talked about it in, in his book, guys got on their hands and knees and kissed the ground as they got off the plane mm-hmm. in Japan. <laughs> Not in the United States. In Japan, they were so grateful to be out of Korea that um, I think trying to convince anybody to go a second time would have been a monumental task that I would have not been able to achieve. Uh, you mentioned you were on com- commentary, but you've also mentioned that the commentary was shot after the fact and that you weren't producing the show because you didn't speak Japanese or Korean. Um, in a producer capacity, what were you up to during the actual show? Well, as a my role as a producer, and as you probably mm. know, producers you know producer is a big term. It can mean anything from you know putting all the pieces of a television project together or a feature film together, or it can be a physical line producer type of job. Now, clearly, I couldn't have been a line producer, nor was that my role in WCW. Uh, my role as a producer was merely to be able to put the WCW side of it and, and arranged for um, Muhammad Ali to mm. be a part of it. Once I accomplished all of that, before we even left the United States, my role as a producer was pretty much complete. In terms of what I was doing during the event, uh, Sonny Ono and myself, and of course our attache, liaison, secret police person, <laughs> uh, were sitting in a very secluded area of, of the event. Uh, specifically for us and other dignitaries and government people and celebrities and things. And we were simply watching. Mm. All right. Here's a question that might get me the middle finger again. (laughs) Uh, 
you mentioned Hogan didn't want to go because he just didn't want to go to Korea. It's that simple. But don't you think there is a possibility? Oh my God! If you harass this poor man again about just, Hogan not wanting a job to just somebody, just a possibility of like, of course, obviously he's not going to say it in public. He's not going to tell you, oh, "I don't want to go because I don't want a job to Noki." But do you think, and just deep down, just a small oh percentage of like, "I don't want to go because I know I'm going to job to Noki." I feel like you lost your speaking privileges. <laughs> if I could uh, reach him, Eric, I'd give him a little tap on the side of the head. Just a possibility. That's all I'm asking. No, there was no possibility. And I know a lot of fans and people that are students of the history of, of wrestling in general and Hogan in particular want to believe that type of narrative because it's been out there and it's so prevalent. But, you know, Hogan had no problem jobbing for Billy Kidman on national television. So I don't think doing a job for Antonio Inoki in Pyongyang, North Korea, <laughs> was really the issue. The issue really was travel. And to this day, I mean, Hulk doesn't like to travel. He's never really in, liked traveling. He pretty much wrote that off back in 1994 when he left the WWE because for a variety of other reasons. But one of those was he just didn't like being away from his kids in his, in his, in his home. So it really was, despite the narrative, and I know it's so popular and ingrained in so many minds that it'll, it'll never go away – but, you know, jobbing to Inoki, <laughs> I have a hard time even saying it because it sounds so juvenile. Yeah. But um, I understand the question. I'm not criticizing you for asking it because it's one that I think a lot of people probably, you know, believe. But it's just not true. Uh, Switching gears back over to the commentary um, discussions. So I – and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm under the, I'm under the impression that they knew that you were planning on showing this as a pay-per-view – um, in America, so if that's the case, was there ever any consideration of you guys just doing the commentary live in English? This way, we have the live um, crowd reactions, as well as even this way, the mat, like the sounds on the mat on slams. I mean, it's heavily muffled because obviously it's it's dubbed over because you can faintly hear, you know, the Korean commentary in the back. Was that ever a thought? No, and I wish it would have been a discussion. And again, that would have required a little bit of a crystal ball. We went into this thinking again. It was, and I call it an aftermarket, but it was a, it was a, an ancillary is probably a better way to say it. It wasn't one of our big pay per views. We knew we weren't going to get a big marketing push from our pay per view uh, partners like Directv and Dish and so forth. Nobody was going to really get behind it to promote it outside of WCW because it wasn't live, you know, and pay-per-views traditionally, unless it's porn, um, traditionally only work well when they're live. So we knew since it wasn't going to get a lot of marketing support from our partners, we couldn't afford to go through the expense that it would have been, would have been required in order for us to do commentary live. That would have been a pretty substantial undertaking and an expensive one and not one that we could have, justified without knowing we were going to get at least a reasonable amount of marketing support from our pay-per-view partners. Is it surprising, though, that they kind of relinquished the control as far as what you would say when people would actually see this in America? No. Again, that goes to the trust, the work, the quality, the working relationship that we, I hate to see you saying working relationship. Mm. Everybody has a working relationship now. Mm. Uh, but the relationship I had with New Japan made that very easy. Okay. And uh, TV Asahi, and I think it was TV Asahi, which actually owns the copyrights, trademarks to that event. It's not a WWE copyrighted event. They lay claim to <laughs> pay-per-view that was a part of WCW. 
and that's a cloudy issue in my opinion, but, um, and I'm not a lawyer, but the actual copyrights for the event itself, and I only know this because I was recently um, asked by National Geographic to assist them in getting some cooperation with TV Asahi. In, I think it was TV, it's, I'm pretty sure it's TV Asahi oh. that owns the copyright. Uh, because they do indeed own the copyrights, and National Geographic was looking at acquiring some of that footage. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Can so, you elaborate on that? Uh, why they wanted it, or what they were? Yeah, and I think the uh, National. I, it was, um, yeah, it was National Geographic. Um, they're doing a special on North Korea. They, they actually that was about a year ago, and I believe that they produced it. And I was just, I, I got an email about six or eight months ago, very short one, thanking me for helping them. And they did indeed work out a deal that they needed to work out with the Japanese broadcast system. But um, they, were, they told me that my interview and my portion of it, unfortunately, had been cut out. And that was due primarily to a lot of the recent things that have been going on in North Korea over the last 12 or 18 months. Mm. Oh, wow. So speaking of North Korea in the last 12 or 18 months, you can't bring up athletes and celebrities and North Korea and not bring up Dennis Rodman and his, we'll call it special instead of working relationship with Kim Jong-un. As, some, as an American who's actually been to North Korea and gone through that process how could you could you shed some light on how someone like dennis rodman could wind up in the position he's in now yeah and i think it goes to the um fascination that kim jong-un in particular has for all things american and if you do a little bit of research you'll find that um he has like this amazing collection of uh, american westerns that he's fascinated, you know, he gets all, you know, he's, he has movies, American Western movies, mostly American and, uh, and, and, and DVDs that the average North or excuse me, North Korean don't ever see. They don't even know about it. Mm -hmm. So I think Kim Jong-un has a fascination with all things American. He's a huge basketball fan and it doesn't surprise me that, uh, he doesn't reach out to more people like Dennis Rodman or, or, or I guess, you know, wrestlers in general, uh, who are kind of, you know, very popular Western celebrities, uh, because he does have a fascination for them. Wow. And, and Steve, you looked, do you, was that just really interesting or did you yeah. have a follow-up? No, that was really interesting. Okay, <laughs> everybody's just, we're just hanging on your every word here, Eric. It's, it's really a lot of fun to, uh, like you said, talk about something maybe a little bit outside of the professional wrestling world. Well, it, it's a little bit like having an opportunity with somebody that's visited Martians on Mars. Yeah. You don't you don't often get a chance to talk to people who are actually there and did it. So it is a fascinating, you know, and I still if you if you go to, you know, if you go on the Internet and search for it, you can still you can gain access to the English version of the uh, Korean newspaper that's oh. distributed to to Koreans and for the outside world. And I, I encourage you to to look that up. I can't remember the name of the newspaper, but it's out there. Just spend five minutes researching it. You'll find it. And if you read their headlines and read the stories that are online, and again, they're in English, um, you it will give you even more insight into how warped and distorted the thinking is in North Korea and the propaganda that they put out on a regular basis. It all will start making sense if you read some of the things that, that are out there, even currently today. Mm -hmm. 
Wow, I love that. Well, um, guessing Slamboree 97 next week will be uh, kind of back to the, the show that we expect. Are you excited for that one or uh, dreading it? What's your well, feeling when I say Slamboree 97? <laughs> No, it's like going to Mars and visiting the Martians and then coming back and going to McDonald's and having a Big Mac. (laughs) (laughs) Familiar with. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm ready to have a Big Mac. That's cool. Well, I'm sure these guys uh, appreciate their Big Macs, too. So we will see you next week to talk Slamboree 97. Thank you so much. What? Uh You look like you enjoy a Big Mac. Are you going to argue with me? Wow. All right. Wow. Let her have that. Now that I've yes, All now right. that I've insulted them, we'll let you go, Eric. Uh, but thank you. She's yeah, stirring it up on set. I want to see the uh, after show clips of you guys battling it out behind the desk. <laughs> the after show, the after show. Well, thank you so much. We will. Uh, we'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks, Adios. Eric. <laughs> oh, come on. Do you, you love Big Macs, don't you? I'm a McNugget guy. Thank oh, you. Okay. Yeah, I, Big All Macs right. are not good. Okay, I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I feel like they How are making a. There, there's something about a vegan Big Mac. You can either make it at home or. Well, that I'm not having. There's something, That's, so I'll that try I'm it. I'll let you eating. know. Well, George Ramos is clearly in and out for life because he's SoCal. Oh, so I true. do love me some double doubles. <laughs> oh man, what we a burger's learned, better? Uh, Fight me on it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> How dare you? I think this podcast is going to go in the international news section instead of the um, wrestling section or whatever. Sports, we're, you know. Yeah, we covered it all today. We got there. there. Yeah, and uh, if they want to continue to be smartened up out there on all kinds of things, where can they uh, hit you up at there? Twitter, at Orr Big Rosenberg. Mac Daddy. <laughs> that doesn't sound that bad. That doesn't sound too bad. Uh, Twitter, at Rue Rosenberg. Instagram, at Viva Rosenberg. Presentees.com slash Christian Rosenberg. Saw Eric Bischoff with a Colin Noble brand shirt on. Yeah. Uh, but if you use promo code Rosenberg, you'll save yourself 10% on that. And you could catch me hosting the AfterBuzz Smackdown after show. Yeah. How much more do I need to be a wrestling historian? Uh, yeah, oh, I honey, think, you've got the title. Yeah, you just I have feel to like start I am it. in in power to bestow such titles, <laughs> and I'm you got it. Uh, but either way, you can follow me at Ghermoza, G H E R M O Z A, Twitter, Instagram, all the above. And I'm Steve Kaufman, world famous wrestling pundit. You can find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K U F. M-A-N-N, I'm involved in five YouTube pages. If I tweet the link, chances are I'm involved. That, yeah, that's what we got. Steve's the pundit, George is the historian, I'm the that. critic, and oh. Christy is the hostess with the mostest. Oh, I love that. I was going to say, See, I'm, I'm I give just a, a Christy report. I give a compliment. Is. You say I eat lots of Big Macs. <laughs> oh, so sad. Well, if you guys can stand <laughs> the uh, the awkwardness, the, the horrible insults we sling at each other here, we will see you next week right back here on 83 Weeks Channel. And you guys can always hit me up at Christy Reports. I hope you do because obviously we have fun around here. And we'll be having more fun next week. We'll see you then. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 